Georgia's DBHDD is urging people to store and lock away all medications to prevent theft and keep them away from children and pets. Old medications can be disposed at Dropbox locations. Dropbox locations can be found at opioidresponse.info. Yes, it's Political Rewind time again. I'm Bill Nygut. Thanks for joining us for our first show of the week. We've got a lot to talk about today. Jim Galloway is here with us. He's the lead political writer for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. And uh, you read him on Wednesdays and Sundays in the newspaper, any overseas political insider blog at AJC.com. Hey, how are you, Galloway? I'm great. Who needs to be outside on a beautiful day like this? Yeah. Know? Yeah. It's great. I was in Boston all weekend. We had one nice day. And yesterday they have a nor'easter moving in. And it was like, it reminded me of growing up in Chicago, cold and wet and just miserable. With one more snow in the office. <laughs> there you go. Uh, if you're watching us on Facebook Live, which you can do by going to GPB News on Facebook, uh, you'll see that sitting right across from uh, Jim Galloway is uh, Mary Margaret Oliver, Democratic State Representative from Decatur. We haven't had you on in a while because it's hard during a legislative session for you all to run over to our studios uh, during uh, the afternoon. So thank you for coming back. It's good thank to see you. you. My last best and snow day was on a May 4th. I lived there two years, May 4th. I'll never forget that. <laughs> <laughs> May 4th. That's just miserable. And Heath Garrett uh, is with us today, Republican strategist and a uh, longtime advisor to uh, U.S. Senator Johnny Isaacson. How are you, Heath? I'm great. It's good to be here. And that's what we call an economic development day when it's raining and cold in Boston or New York. <laughs> That's exactly right. I couldn't wait to get back home. Uh, all right. Let's talk about, Jim, you know, you've written a couple of times now about the fact and the, the HB 481, the so-called heart bill, uh, heartbeat bill, has only been a couple. Of, the governor signed it last week. Uh, it had only been passed a short time before that, really. And so there were people, and as you have written, who kept waiting to see how was the film and television industry going to react to this thing. And it, you pointed out a couple of times it's going to take a while for it to start kicking in. Well, it really is starting to kick in. Um, Mary McNamara, who is a culture critic columnist for the Los Angeles Times, Pulitzer Prize winner, uh, wrote a piece for the L.A. Times uh, last weekend that read that the the headline is "Dear Hollywood, get the hell out of Georgia now." She says, "I understand the tax breaks are terrific, the geography diverse, the cost of living cheap, and heaven knows it's hard to beat a nice cold glass of sweet tea when you need a pick me up." But by criminalizing abortion after six weeks, Governor Brian Kemp just turned the millions you save and the billions you infuse into the state economy into uh, blood money. The Hollywood Reporter had a, which is really one of the industry bibles had a a long piece in which it discussed the various players in the industry who are now either boycotting, say they're boycotting the state, or will continue with productions that have already been planned here, but will donate the profits from those productions to the lawsuit, to the organizations that eventually file lawsuits. Um, So this thing is getting bigger by the day. It's getting bigger by the day, even though you've had uh, 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 Georgia Democrats, and we can have, we got Mary and Margaret here who can talk about it, who have actively discouraged mm-hmm. any kind of a, a, a boycott because you've got uh, 92,000 jobs connected to the, the movie and film industry. And yet, you know what, the, the thing is, Bill, it, you've got this strange confluence of, of people who would like to see this culture war uh, jump up and 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 of course you know you you do you, you've got your 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 uh, your uh, Hollywood people and like you said people who are who are just outraged raged by the bill I, I would posit that I don't think you could find many Democrats who are less outraged about it but what we what we saw beginning this weekend was how important uh, 
this this fight with Hollywood might be for the Republican Party in Georgia. You had uh, Mike Pence, vice president uh, at, uh, at the Liberty University commencement, get up and 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 you know say, tell his tell the graduating students that that their religion may make them uh, martyrs, and was was pointing to uh, the uh, the heartbeat bill, uh, the reaction to the heartbeat bill as as an, one example. And then most interesting today, you had this morning. First thing this morning, you had David Perdue. Uh, get up at, on Fox and Friends. Now, given the fact that you had uh, 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 President Trump uh, increase uh, tariffs on Chinese goods to 25% on Friday, you might have thought that w- would be a topic, but it wasn't. It was his, this, he, he's a U.S. senator, but his, the topic was a state law, Georgia state law, state heartbeat law. All right. Let's take, uh, let's, I know Mary Margaret and Heath both want to jump in. But let's just spend a couple minutes listening to what the people uh, have had to say, what Purdue had to say. But before we get to David Purdue, um, I think we need to hear from the real zeitgeist. Here's the joke from Saturday Night Live the other night. This Sunday is Mother's Day, a holiday that Georgia is trying to make mandatory. (laughs) When you make Saturday Night Live like that, Mary Margaret, it is not good news for your state. And Mike Lakovich, <laughs> our two-time Pulitzer Prize-winning cartoonist, had a great cartoon also on honor of Mother's Day in 41. Georgia is among four or five states that are competing with each other in a fierce way to be first to the United States Supreme Court with an opportunity to reverse Roe v. Wade. This is going to be an ugly dynamic for the next year or two, and because Georgia may be the only truly swing state among the states that are promoting these bills to outlaw, make illegal any abortion, any time. I think Georgia is going to get an unusual amount of negative press in relation to 481. I stand, though, with Democratic leaders like Stacey Abrams, who do not want the film industry to boycott Georgia. When I drive every single day from my home in Druid Hills to my office, law office indicator, I pass the seeming everyday parking lot of the First Baptist Church for a crew of a film. The filming in the in-town areas is in my direct routes every single day, and the state, as you know, has invested tens of millions of dollars in technical and educational programs for the 92,000 employees of the film industry. Georgia will suffer based on 481. It will suffer in its image. But because we are a swing state and because the bill is so extreme and because there is a competition to get to the United States Supreme Court first, this is going to be a very ugly spotlight on Georgia. So, Heath, let's get your point of view in here. I do think it's worth pointing out that although Mary McNamara, the columnist who I cited a minute ago, is not speaking as the editorial voice of the L.A. Times in this uh, instance, There is something a little bit questionable about the L.A. Times arguing that people should stop shooting in Georgia since we have vastly eclipsed uh, California as a location. We're now the leading location for film and television shoots in the United States. So I think we need to take what the L.A. Times writers have to say with a little grain of salt at least. No, and look, I mean, I know we, we have to do this because we're talking about political rewind and not policy rewind, but if we set aside the legitimate debate over life and liberty, which is what abortion is and has been and will be in the United States of America for another couple of decades, uh, we got to unpack it for, for in Georgia because we do have this unique confluence. I, I'm, I'm with you. The L.A. Times writing this, there's a little self-interest uh, in that. The uh, There are five production companies that have threatened boycotts uh, against the state of Georgia, four of which have never produced anything in the state of Georgia, one of which is what we would call a B or C level uh, producer. The actress who's calling for these boycotts, uh, Alyssa Milano. Alyssa Milano. I 
asked my 16-year-old daughter, who's very into pop culture, what she thought, and she asked me, who was Alyssa Milano? Uh, we're talking about a kind of a B-C-level type actress who I don't think has galvanized the type of reaction we saw about the religious liberty debates a, a year or two ago. However, uh, I do think uh, Republicans and Democrats are actually joining together in the state to defend this industry. It's a $10 billion a year industry. As Jim mentioned, 92,000 jobs. Those are Democrats, Republicans, independents. They're hardworking Georgians. Uh, we are the number one state to do business, and we have to protect that reputation. So I do think the Republican leadership has some responsibility here in unpacking this for the Hollywood executives and for corporate America and making sure we stay the number one state to do business. So uh, let me, let's just go ahead and listen. Uh, uh, Jim referred to David Perdue being on Fox and Friends this morning. He made some of the points that you're talking about right now, Heath. But here's uh, David Perdue talking about this whole controversy. And Georgia does more traditional movie production than any other state, including California. It's ironic that uh, several of these companies that are threatening to boycott have yet to do business in Georgia. Well, it just shows the rhetoric is more important than reality. But look, Georgia's moved in this area. Uh, this governor did exactly what the state legislator voted to do, what the people of Georgia elected them to do. And it's the law of the land today. Mm-hmm. It voted by one or two votes. So it was painfully, painfully close. The... Um, the reality is that Georgia is going to have a black eye because of 481, and the reality of our business culture is strong uh, and will continue to be strong. But this competition to make women criminals and doctors criminals, to be for the United States Supreme Court to ban all abortions for all women in the United States, is such an extreme position, particularly impacting poor women. Well, and, and Mary Margaret brings up, I think, the the arguments that Republican candidates are going to hear uh, at the state legislative level and at the statewide level in, in, the, in the next election. One is going to be a focus on the criminalization of women and their doctors. And uh, number two, it's too complicated of an issue, right? If the Supreme Court takes this up, they're not going to ban all abortions in the country. The most likely thing they would do, even a conservative court, would be turn it back to the states and you'd have... 10 or 12 states that would ban ban abortions. The author of the bill uh, wants the United States Supreme Court to ban all abortions. That's right. I'm sure there are individuals who would want that. But, yeah, again, this is a good problem. This is a good example, and I'm saying this as a Republican, of the difficulty Republicans have on explaining or defending this issue. But but, it, but it, if, I, if I could jump in here, I mean, just the, 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 the details of 481 that we have yet to explore and have uh, that, that we've yet to see the briefs on. You know, I mean, you will have the Medical Association of Georgia saying it will criminalize uh, activities of, of physicians and that it will help it make it much, much harder to recruit OBGYNs, especially especially in, in, in places in Georgia that don't have them right now. But if, if, you, if you are, if you, uh, if you can look at this war with Hollywood as a means of, of avoiding those arguments on the details, if you, if you create this, if you, if you make this a Georgia versus the West, West Coast war, you don't have to talk about those details. I'm not about dissing Alyssa Milano or any, uh, any B-level movie company. I want them all here. I want them all here paying taxes in Georgia, particularly consideration of how many tax breaks we've given them. The extremism of the legislation that's coming out of Georgia is going to give Georgia a black eye for a long time. So so, um, I I want to keep talking about this for a minute, but I I just got a a text message from, uh, I don't think this this is someone who really is looking to be public about all this, but, but this is an executive in the movie television industry, has a works on productions here in Georgia, hopes to recruit uh, productions to the state at his facility. He says that I've made a mistake, and I've read this in a number of publications, so they're they're all wrong. We are not, he says, uh, first. We are third in TV and film spending. He said we were only first in top 100 film spending in a single year, and uh, so... So I want to be sure that I'm careful about that. I always want to correct uh, mistakes, the many mistakes that I, I make. Um, well, Bill, and on this, I think it's really interesting. We've got a little bit of a culture clash going on. It's not, it shouldn't be a surprise to anybody in Hollywood that Georgia is a center-right state. When they've made 
these ten these billions of dollars worth of investments they've known that georgia is a southern center right state and uh, it is important that we maintain that reputation it's important to our republican leaders that we do that but it also shouldn't be a surprise to anybody in georgia that hollywood is center left at best well right? that's exact thank you for it, mentioning it, this has been this way for a decade well because that's something that that jim you uh, referred to and i wanted to have a, a longer conversation now that we're getting to that moment in the show but before i do I do think that one of the things that Purdue says is this notion that some of the people that are boycotting the state are people who've never even shot pictures here. You know, that's a great talking point, but it, you don't have to have shot a picture here to start a groundswell. You, just the fact that you talk about it, along with the Hollywood Reporter pieces, the LA Times column, that's enough to start something moving, whether you've been here or not. You can be called a hypocrite for it, I suppose, but the fact is you're contributing to that uh, new thinking about the state. I also want to object to the message that uh, strong, capable, good Republican leaders like Mr. Heath keep putting out there that it's we're center right. Uh, 40,000 votes maybe <laughs> determined whether we were center right or center left, which is a term I don't use at all. I think we are a swing state and we're going to continue to be a swing state or a democratic state uh, far ahead of the other states that are competing um, to get to the United States Supreme Court and bragging about it. I mean, the Republican authors of this bill are bragging about it. We're going to get there first. We're defining personhood based on the census tract taker coming to your house and asking your wife if she's pregnant. I mean, these are the kind of talking points that the uh, Republican leaders want to have forward in support of 481. Right, and and, and I'll tell you about one thing that... I, in, in, in my conversations I've had this morning is is that the one point that I, that's been driven home to me is that you, you mentioned the, the the boycotts by companies that haven't ever done yeah. business here yeah well this it'll make this this any boycott that results kind of hard to measure because uh, Hollywood is such a, a mobile industry you know you may not see people pulling out of Georgia but you may not see them coming back in with new projects. North Carolina and Louisiana are strong competitors. They're out there, too, beating their drum, and they're not passing 481. Well, and look, I, mean, I think it remains to be seen as well. This is the issue that causes Hollywood to pull out. I think there is a little bit more momentum than there was a couple of weeks ago. Again, this is not at the same level that I think the threat that happened to North Carolina and others do. It's not the same issue for everybody in Hollywood. Uh, and I think there's, it remains to be seen. I'm not saying – I'm look I, – I, Mary Margaret and I are on the same page here. Uh, we all have a responsibility. This is about Georgians and Georgia jobs, and I think we've got to help. I think this is where the governor and everybody else has to make a good point. You're not hurting anybody but Georgia workers uh, with this particular boycott. So, um, All right. I, Heath, I want to stick with you for a minute because I want to talk about, as I mentioned a moment ago, something that, that Jim referred to uh, earlier in the conversation. So the assumption is, and I think Mary Margaret would agree with this, and we'll give her a chance in a second, the assumption is that this uh, law, whether it's enacted or not, will accrue to the benefit of Democrats in legislative races, uh, likely that Democrats will pick up some more seats, particularly in suburban areas. But here's what, what Jim was positing a moment ago, right. that in fact, uh, that Republicans can gain... The way you talk about the Hollywood industry, the way Purdue talks about the Hollywood industry, the way Governor Kemp has these godless liberals from the West Coast are coming in and trying to subvert Georgia values. Jim's positing that that could in the long run help Republicans win back some of those suburban women that may be moving away from the party. And I want to hear him, but I want to hear you first on this. Well, first of all, let me correct. I'm not saying they're – I call them center-left diplomatically because I don't think that we ought to have a culture war. I don't think it's in the best interest of Republicans in this state uh, to do that. And I think that's the cheap way of engaging in electoral victory uh, on, on behalf of these workers. So I want to correct that 
that, that I'm there. I don't think Governor Kemp's gone there. I do think that Mike Pence suggested, uh, which is normally the kind of position you have at the presidential level, that there ought to be a little bit of a culture war here. I think it would be it would be bad politics and bad policy for Republican leaders to engage in what Jim's positing as using it as a culture war. I think that you could get a few more fired up voters, uh, but at the end of the day, I think it's going to be outweighed by the cost. And I don't think it would work uh, really to accrue to the benefit of Senator Perdue or anybody else in this next election cycle by having that war, uh, particularly in these competitive districts that we're talking about. Um, I'm not I'm not giving up that Republicans are going to lose all these seats in the suburbs, but this issue is going to cost suburban uh, women votes uh, for Republicans. There's no question um, out there. Yeah, Mary Margaret, it, I, I, you know, wonder whether those kinds of culture wars are really, I, I sort of think Keith makes a good point. Our suburban women aren't about to suddenly jump over to the Republican side because they feel Republicans are guarding against the liberal West Coast element moving in. <laughs> and those Republican women out there in the suburbs um, are real working, middle class, educated, educated women who do not tolerate, even if they claim them, even if they are conservatives and identify as conservatives, they do not tolerate the culture war against gay people. And you don't hear that very much. It's only this year, t- 2019, that we're focusing on abortion. The uh, culture war is only about abortion apparently we're not going to diss gay people particularly for the suburban areas but the idea that you can get more votes out of those counties that already vote for trump 80 percent is a calculation that i do not understand and and that's what i think but i think i think that's in fact what's happening and look i'm not i'm not saying that that if you engage in a in, in a war against hollywood you're going to persuade uh College-educated suburban women uh, who are already disaffected by 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 Trump and 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 issues like gun control and and attacks on 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 gay people. But what I am saying is that since 2002, we have seen a very distinct Republican pattern on statewide elect- elections, by which the uh, and especially with 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 the Purdue cousins and with with Donald Trump in those in those particular cycles, you've had you've had uh, you've had uh, the the candidate campaign specifically outside metro um, uh, metro Atlanta concentrate on the rural areas and and yes intensify that base vo- vote beyond beyond a point which anybody thought possible I think we, we were having some 85 percenters uh, you know this would be this would be a, a way this is a way of, of, of holding that base together but it's based on the f- this is my opinion, and you guys are smarter about this than I know you are. But oh God, <laughs> this is based little on... self-effacing moment for Mary Margaret, one of law the smartest pro- professor... lawyers in the legislature. Law professors are like that. You know? let, let me continue, please, gentlemen. The fluke of Donald Trump becoming president has highlighted the opportunity to go after 80, 85 percent of the votes in rural counties. That is not a sustainable message. It's not a sustainable path to victory. David Perdue is obviously tying himself to the president of the United States who got elected, got elected, but who among this in this room thought he was going to get elected and more importantly is he going to get reelected well and having run a few elections for somebody named Johnny Isaacson who right. overperforms almost every republican on the ballot including he overperformed Donald Trump's vote by 5 percentage points, uh, I suggest to my other Republican consultants out there, there's a much greater field of independent, educated women and men in the suburbs that are gettable for Republicans. Not anymore. Uh, I think that they still are. Johnny Isaacson is pro-life. Johnny Isaacson is is uh, you know is just as conservative as anybody else, but it's in the tone and the message and your ability to work across yep, the aisle but- on other issues. I think they're more gettable than Republicans think they are and Democrats don't want them to be. So, but Heath, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I've been giving a lot of thought to, to exactly uh, what's going to happen with Johnny Isaacson. Now, we know he's not on the ballot in 2020. Right. He, he may or may not run uh, in 2022. We'll see about how that goes. But he is going to have to be out there campaigning on behalf 
probably not just of Georgia candidates like a David Perdue, maybe right. some legislative candidates, but he's probably going to be uh, invited to come to other states and campaign on behalf of uh, probably incumbents in the U.S. Senate, GOP incumbent. And, and I'll be interested, Mr. Garrett, in watching the kind of rhetoric that, that Senator Isaacson employs on the campaign trail when he talks about things like the heartbeat bill. Being pro-life right. is different, can be different yeah, than see. believing that people should perhaps go to jail if they have an abortion after six weeks. I think it's going to be fascinating because, Jim, we've seen Isaacson stick his toe in the water of criticism of Donald Trump. He show. did it on this show with us. But he's still reluctant to go too far. He's not going to go further with that with Trump. But how is he going to talk about things like a heartbeat law? That one I don't know. I know I, I know you can see some specific air de- de- between Isaacson and Trump developing on the issue of, of tariffs. Uh, very specific, yep. and 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 I'm I'm not. He, you tell me is 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 he part of uh, this uh, Senate Republican refusal to uh, to approve the updates in the in the NAFTA bill un, until the, these tariffs are gone? I'm not aware of that of him being. But but that is a movement among a among movement. Senate Republicans. Yeah, it's I mean, part I, of some Republican crowd today talking to the president about tariffs. What did the where is the Dow today? It's one down it's almost 700 points it when was, I it last was down looked. beyond 700. Okay, well, okay. Uh, listen, we got to get a break in uh, right now. When we come back, uh, I want to move on to um, Mary Margaret. You pointed out there were some interesting and perhaps unusual vetoes as part of Governor Kemp's final day of ha- of looking at assessing whether he would uh, uh, sign or veto or let sit uh, certain legislation. So let's talk about that when we get back uh, from this break on Political Rewind. The end of GPB's stealth drive is fast approaching. Thanks to everyone we've heard from so far in support of the services GPB provides. As we've been letting you know, our hope is that listeners like you would appreciate getting more programming and less fundraising so much that we'd see the same level of support that comes in during a traditional spring fund drive. That's simply what it takes to cover the costs of the programs you rely on and enjoy. As an update, we are making progress, but at this point, we anticipate it will take some days of traditional on-air fundraising to wrap up the drive successfully. How many days? That part is up to you. Your donation right now will help keep the amount of time we come on the air live to ask for your support to an absolute minimum. We're counting on you to do your part now. Call 800-222-4788 or donate online at gpb.org. Thank you for supporting GPB. A couple of quick notes about HB 481 before we move on. First of all, uh, uh, Governor Kemp has proudly called this uh, just about the toughest abortion law in the country. Right now, Alabama is in the midst in their legislature of trying to pass a bill if they pass it, and there's no reason to think they won't, which would absolutely be the toughest abortion law in the country. It would virtually outlaw all abortions in Alabama. We're going to talk a little more about that on our show uh, tomorrow. And uh, I think it's also worth noting that, Mary Margaret, we're not going to get into this today, but tomorrow we're going to have a discussion about uh, just what does this law in Georgia really specifically say about any number of issues. For instance, can women be held criminally liable? And that we'll talk about that. Uh, uh, Amy Steigerwald will be one of our panelists on the show tomorrow. And as you know, Jim Galloway, she understands this stuff uh, really well. So she'll be here to talk about that with us. Finally, there's another interesting note, Jim, that, you know, we all we all think that the Republicans are rushing to pass these bills because they believe that Gorsuch and Kavanaugh, the newest uh, uh, Supreme Court justices, are likely to tip the balance toward outlawing, towards overturning Roe. The New York Times, though, had a fascinating analysis this morning of the fact that Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, in fact, 
are voting quite differently so far on any number of measures. They don't point to whether they'd go the same direction on Roe, but they do make the point that you can't, as you can never do with a Supreme Court justice, rely on where they stand on a given issue. I think Kavanaugh joined the joined the four liberals on this decision uh, to to allow a, a lawsuit against Apple and yep. its App Store. Yep, go forward. Yep. There's there's any number of issues. It's been fascinating. Mary Margaret Oliver, uh, on Friday, Governor Kemp had his last chance at a number of bills. He could have gone till Sunday, but he didn't want to work the weekend. It was a Mother's Day. Uh, So there were a couple of vetoes which were, I think a lot of people were caught off guard by uh, school recess, vetoing the school recess bill. That one was sort of an odd bill. You know, this is a bill that would just guarantee that kids in the elementary school, I think, would have access. They go out to a playground once a day. He vetoed it. There are three bills he vetoed. And the one that's easiest for the public to understand and identify with is no resource. Recess? You're against recess? (laughs) Um, The idea that... uh, Demetrius Douglas did such a good job over three years, Representative Douglas, a former UGA football player, former NFL player. And it was backed by a bunch of kids looking, to, to, it, looking to, 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 to see how a bill becomes law. It was a great legislative victory. He got a standing ovation on the House. The bill passed easily. It is a feel-good but also important point that the state can make. Children deserve recess. (laughs) And so he vetoed that, much to my surprise. He vetoed the school safety bill, which was this year's sort of gun bill for the gun crowd people. Also, it. Um, I was happy he vetoed the school safety bill, but I was still very surprised. It, it did apply a lot of bureaucracy with the school and the law enforcement. It, in various iterations, required the school to call law enforcement if one 13-year-old, you know, hits another 13-year-old. It was not a great bill, but it still was pretty surprising because it was a tough-on-crime, tough-on-guns uh, carrying Bill. All right. Let, let's stick with the school bills first, and then we've got a couple others. Heath, uh, Governor Kemp, I think, vetoed both of those bills for similar reasons, really. He basically suggested he believes in local control in schools. Right. He, he thought the recess bill put an undue burden on schools that are already uh, struggling to try to make sure that their students are learning the curriculum and unfortunately being prepared for the test, which we all know is so dominant. So so there was that. And he said essentially the same thing about the school safety bill. He was a little concerned about state, the state imposing unfunded mandates on the local school district. No, that's right. I mean, Governor Kemp campaigned on, you know, local control and less bureaucracy coming out of Atlanta when it comes to the schools. And a part of his strategy of all the counties, particularly outside of Metro Atlanta, he heard a lot from teachers because in addition to what you mentioned about local control, it's also a disciplinary tool in the classroom. If you can withhold recess, right, particularly with younger children, it's a great reward and or motivation for behavior. And so that's a, an interesting fact that I think a lot of teachers were, were calling in about. It's also local control. On school safety, um, they also the, 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 the legislature did pass and the governor did sign $69 million in grants, $30,000, I believe, per school. For every school, right? And part of the argument is not just local control, but let's let those grants be implemented by local before we come up with a statewide prescriptive way of, of doing this. Let's let the experiment happen, see what happens, uh, and then maybe relook at the legislation again next year. So the I think local, those are interesting the, arguments. Yeah, they are. The local control argument doesn't wash with me when you look at the Republican support for insistent on passing the Southern Monuments Bill. You know, I live, I represent districts to cab and city of Decatur who wants very much the local control opportunity to do what they want to with their Confederate monuments and the strengthening the bill that says absolutely no local control on those issues. One of the reasons the local control doesn't wash really doesn't make my heart feel accommodating. Will, 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 will the city of Decatur ever take that, uh, that, that law to court? Uh, it's DeKalb County's dirt, and the obelisk is 
there's a little bit of a jurisdiction. This is issue, the monument right? to the lost cause that's yes. been uh, at the center of so much publicity. That I pass by every single day. I walk to the courthouse. Um, it's a little bit of a jurisdictional issue there, and they are doing what they want to do about uh, making it a f- more fully discussed you know, contextualized uh, opportunity to understand what that obelisk is really about. So local control is used and not used when it's helpful to the Republicans. The bill that he vetoed that irritated me the most is sovereign immunity. Yeah, I know expo- it's you, kind of boring. You, but but exp- <laughs> explain it in the simple—I mean, it essentially means that you and I as citizens cannot sue the government. The king can do no wrong. That's what Brian Kemp says when he vetoes three eleven. In, in most in most in most states and countries and throughout legal history, right? I don't know. New, Anybody who's watching Game of Thrones know concept. a lot of kings do a lot of things wrong. In the, in the view of this veto, uh, the king can do no wrong. This bill only related to litigants' opportunity to get injunctive relief, declaratory relief. Citizens can already sue the state of Georgia under the state court claims for money. This is about the lawsuit. Exactly like the lawsuit I filed last year, Mary Margaret versus Nathan Deal, when the uh, building authority people wouldn't grant a permit to assemble to Moms Demand Action because they could not get an invitation from mm-hmm. a statewide elected. That was when the law, that was in the, the uh, regulations, which are clearly illegal, and the case was settled within hours of it being filed. Right, let, me, Jim, let me ask you, yeah. is, is, let me ask you, is, is okay, uh, if, if he had signed the sovereign immunity bill, would that have uh, allowed a, a, a just a, a mere citizen of Georgia to pursue an injunction of uh, HB 481? I think that the injunction relief on 481 is part of the discussion, but realistically, what sovereign immunity Declar- refusal to allow citizens to sue for injunctive and declaratory relief is about just creating new hurdles and new procedures and new obstacles to the average litigant. Heath? And, and look, I mean, the argument for sovereign immunity has always been, right, to what extent are we going to tie up uh, public assets, right, in litigation. And so there were a number of good lawyers on both sides of the aisle in the law department of the state of Georgia and around the state who don't feel like the law was clear enough to, as an example, uh, keep somebody from tying up road projects and other things simply because they don't want something in their backyard. I so I think there's that. a there's a path. And, and, and we're both lawyers, so we can both reasonably disagree about that. But it was interesting to me. I heard about that before the veto early on, in particular, that folks doing legal work on behalf of the Department of Transportation really mm-hmm. felt like this would be an open avenue to stop things that you didn't like as a matter of public policy using a constitutional litig- litigation attack. So I think if we I think if the governor felt like that all that got clarified, you might have a shot at a good I, I wanted I, to make that the, point. Ca- no, go council ahead. Council on but. Court Reform. I was a, a appointed the Council on Court Reform and chaired by uh, Attorney General Chris Carr and we worked through all that. And Chris Carr said during the process of three eleven, this is acceptable, you've done what we wanted to do. And then the governor who didn't participate, who who people went to him, lawyers went to him and said, Here's the bill, here's the bill and he said, Well, looks good to me. This just came as a surprise. Yeah. And I think it's very unfortunate. The Center for Sustainable Growth case in two thousand fourteen is there's not been this litigation, frivolous litigation. All right. yeah, this this is, I leave it to you lawyers yeah, because I, I get lost in all this. I do. I, I take your point, Mary Margaret, what the governor said in his veto message that until a workable, this relates to what he said, until a workable waiver can be crafted, it's important to note not all suits against the state are barred. We'll see. Let's just, when Mary Margaret comes back in the next session and finds a Republican co-sponsor to move this bill forward. It was Republican with, bill. It was I, Andy Welch's bill. I get it. All right. Uh, let's do this. Let's get another break out of it. We should also say very quickly, Jim, that another bill that the governor uh, vetoed was the bill that would have started the state moving in the direction of challenging the, the border between Tennessee and Georgia. Yet, with yet a, another time. Yeah, of course. With, of course, the intention of moving the border just far enough north so that Nickajack Lake becomes partly Georgia territory and allows us to draw water. The governor said, no, we're not going there right now. Yeah. 
Right, and uh, and and one more the the uh, immigration panel bill. Well, let's. That's. I'm glad you mentioned it because we're going to talk about that when we come back from our final break. This is Political Rewind. The end of GPB's stealth drive is just hours away. We're counting on listeners like you who appreciate getting more programming and less fundraising to help cover the costs of the programs you enjoy. We are making progress, but we anticipate it'll take a few days of traditional on-air fundraising to reach the finish line. How many? That's up to you. Your support now helps keep that number to a minimum. Donate at gpb.org or 800-222-4788. And thanks. On the next Fresh Air, we talk with Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who wrote and created the first season of Killing Eve, a darkly comic thriller about a bored intelligence agent and a psychopathic assassin, inexplicably drawn to each other. Waller-Bridge is also the creator and star of Fleabag, about a charming, restless, hedonistic woman living in London. Season 2 begins next Friday. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 on GPB and gpbnews.org. What are you doing Monday night, June 3rd, if you live up in northwest uh, Georgia? I know I'm going to be, along with uh, Tom Faust, Robert Jimison, Kevin Riley, Buddy Darden. We're all going to be at the Grand Theater in Cartersville. I'm not invited. You're at, Do you want me to say why you're not invited? You're going to be on your big vacation. No, I'll be back. All right, we'll talk. I'd love to have you. <laughs> Jim Galloway, Kevin Riley, and others. Will be, we, I mean, let, let me get this promo out of the way. We, we'd love to have you all come join us. Uh, we're going to record the show in front of a live audience. In the past, that's always been a lot of fun. And uh, you'll get a chance to talk to the Political Rewind team up there, ask questions of the panel. So if you want to join us again monday june 3rd 7 p.m grand theater in downtown cartersville go to the politicalrewind.org page and uh just click the link and sign up for your free ticket uh jim galloway will be thrilled to see you all there i'll probably be at the table taking them <laughs> all right uh so jim it was I, I think I'm right. You will know this better than I. It was Nathan Deal, Governor Deal, who formed this immigration review board about during his first term, as right, I recall. Right. Under under intense pressure from from uh, from uh, a couple of uh, anti illegal immigration groups, uh, including uh, the famous D. A. King. Yeah, and others. And uh, others. Uh, uh, what I never did quite understand, considering that in its tenure, number of years, they only took up about two dozen cases, all of them except for one or two filed by uh, D. A. King. I never right. did quite understand what they were all about. Right. They were. This was. This was. A, this was a panel that was established to to uh, to oversee local governments and make sure that they were implementing the state's uh, anti illegal immigration laws, uh, like uh, such as the mandatory use of e verify and such. Uh, and, and as you said, all but one of those complaints was was uh, uh, were, were filed by by uh, D. A. King. The, that that one lone complaint was filed by Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle. Yeah. Let's put that uh, to this. Uh, we'll talk. <laughs> more about that in just a moment but but it they look they were controversial heath from the start because because da king is notoriously a, a hardcore anti-immigrant i mean there are people who think he's an extremist on that issue um phil kent conservative columnist conservative analyst that sort of thing also has made it very clear that he is a hardcore anti-immigration guy he was uh, DA was not part of the the review board, we should say, but Phil, Phil Kent, Kent was. was, and Phil Kent represents that same point of view. So this was these 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 folks were really controversial from the start, and now Governor Kemp has uh, passed, did sign a bill to put them out of business, which I thought was interesting. He's the guy who campaigned with the pickup truck. Well, and, and I think that it shows that Governor Kemp is going to make independent judgments on what policy is and what's best for the state of Georgia. And this this was a 
committee or commission that was born out of more of politics and good sound policy. In my opinion, it's an example of how one individual, the activist D.A. King, was able to, I think, uh, his bark was louder than his bite, but a number of Republicans thought he held sway over the primary once folks realized he did not and that, that this wasn't good policy. I think that cooler heads prevailed and saw that he was just using this as a way to grab headlines and or raise money for his grassroots activity, not to kind of move forward any legitimate public policy on immigration. And so I think it was good policy and good politics for the Republicans to end this uh, commission uh, in the state of Georgia. What was interesting to me, because I'm very happy it's been done away with, but it's interesting to me, it was not a part of the original bill, which I was a co-sponsor of. Katie Dempsey had an original bill that I was helping her with on a a realignment of a particular commission. And in the legislative process, which I did not know about, even as a co-sponsor until after the bill was passed, there was a number of different dissolutions of antiquated groups. But in the dissolution list that was added to this bill was the elimination of the Immigration Board. I have tried, because I got called by my local Decatur uh, reporter, based on Decatur being the target of Le- then-Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle to, uh, for his own political weirdness that obviously didn't help him, um, to uh, find out what ha- when this got into the bill. And I can't find who in the Kemp administration who will take credit for it, because I want to thank <laughs> this, this happens. This happens a lot more often than you might think, that, uh, that some, somewhere some Republican said, this is nonsense. Let's get rid of it. Cost money. It's costing us money. Every time DA filed one of these stupid complaints, somebody had to pay a lawyer to deal with it. Well, so, let us say that there are certainly Republicans. You're not. Don't happen to be one of them, Heath. Who were if they were sitting here at this table, they would say these complaints are not stupid. They would say there are good reasons for uh, why we need to uh, be cautious in the way that we deal with immigration issues. I I just want to make sure we understand that there's the reason, as Jim pointed, I mean, the reason Governor Deal put this in place in the first place was there were some voices in the Republican Party insisting this was necessary. But, you know, and they were out there. And there's a I think that's why I suggest that sometimes I think their bark was louder yeah. than their bite, and then this had no direct impact on immigration policy at the end of the day. All right, let, let me, here's, so here's a parallel interesting story, Jim. At the same time that the governor has eliminated the Immigration Review Board, he, uh, there's a new controversy over Dax Lopez. Uh, Dax Lopez, uh, help us remember, he was first appointed uh, by Deal, right, or is it Sonny? Purdue. Gosh, Doesn't matter. It was a yeah. Republican yeah, he was, governor. He was appointed to Cab County state judge. State judge. And then he got a... a co- then the... In that, 2015, go I ahead. think. I, in 2015, yeah. he was nominated by President by Obama, Obama right. on the recommendation of the two Republican senators to a federal j- district judgeship. Hispanic he is, judge. He is, well, it's, more, it's more interesting than that. More he is, he is a, he has a, he, he, he has got a Hispanic background, but he is also Jewish. Jewish. Yep. Yep. Okay. And that nomination fell apart because, because David Perdue put a hold on it. And, and because 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 people like D.A. King insisted that 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 uh, Dax Lopez was not fit because he had been uh, connected to the the organization uh, Georgia Galeo. Association Galeo. of Galeo. Uh, Latin American uh, Latin Latino uh, elected officials. Dax Lopez is from Puerto Rico which makes him American citizen. And he um, was a Vanderbilt graduate, so I started becoming acquainted and friends with him before his appointment. I was just delighted at what a great judge he's made for DeKalb County and what a what a great federal judge he would have been. I was really appalled at the, you know, the discrimination against a Puerto Rican <laughs> excellent Vanderbilt graduate successful judge that was put forth by Senator Purdue based on a professional association. All right. So he didn't get that federal judgeship and he went back uh, to his state court job or continued in his state court job. Right. And now he's the center of new controversy, Heath. Why? That's right. Uh, Governor Kemp's Judicial Nominations Committee, which is made up of lawyers appointed by 
uh, Governor Kemp has nominated him for a superior court position, which is a promotion within the judicial world uh, here in Georgia. And some of the same groups have now raised their head and are, are, are clanging their uh, their pots and pans again, uh, complaining about him. And here we have another panel of Republican lawyers, right, who are all really conservative, nominating him. And look, at full disclosure, Dax is a good friend. He's worked with me on a number of campaigns. Uh, Senator Isaacson in our organization has promoted him for that federal judgeship, backed him uh, to the uh, until the moment that he withdrew. Uh, we support him in, in this as well. This is exactly the type of individual that Republicans ought to be supporting into these types of positions. And then to have others within the party come and attack them, I think, is, is bad policy. Yeah, I mean, you've got, you've got this, this uh, very, very crucial 7th District Congressional race coming up. Right. Gwinnett County, winning Gwinnett, Gwinnett County is the key to it. You've got, it, it, it's, it's probably, it, it is the most demographically diverse state in, 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 in uh, county in the state. Right. And, and this is how you're, you're, this is how you're treating a, 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 a judge from Puerto Rico. Governor Orange. Kemp's brand new judicial nominating commission. I didn't know all of them but they did a really good job. They, they nominated three sitting judges from DeKalb to the superior court bench, uh, judge Heydrich, judge Lopez and judge Morris, three excellent choices. Any of them would be a good superior court judge, but to somehow decide that it's time to attack Dax Lopez, who, who conducts the only Spanish speaking drug court in Georgia. Oh, I who didn't know that. Who has contributed enormously in, so many different ways. All of a sudden, he grew up in Cobb County. He came here when I think he was about eight from Puerto Rico. Okay, but in the long run, one of the reasons this because this is more than just sort of interesting, uh, you know, backroom chatter. In the long run, this accrues back to Governor Kemp, Jim. Governor Kemp, who ran in the primary in that pickup truck that he was going to go around and pick up undocumented immigrants in. And now he's eliminated the the, uh, Immigration Review Board and he's being pressured to withdraw Dax Lopez. This is going to, in the long run, about his core values on immigration. Right. And well, in, in fact, uh, what happened last week was that you had had uh, Cobb County Sheriff Neil Warren write a letter that was posted on D.A. King's website, but it was addressed yep. to Brian Kemp uh, saying, uh, Governor, you remember that pickup truck? Uh, this is you need to stick to that promise. That's my point. So, so Heath, He's, this it is Governor Kemp who will have to answer for how he deals with these issues uh, when he talks to his core supporters again when it's time to run for re-election. Right. I don't. I, you know, obviously, you can look at it. We try to parse everything on this show, but they're not necessarily intellectually. I would have argued on this show during the campaign that this, these are Brian Kemp's core values, right? He's going to do the right thing. That He's, he's, he's much more uh, the, the way that those commercials were characterized. Uh, he did come across as a tough guy in, in that commercial. However, he's governing the way we've known Brian Kemp to be as both a Secretary of State, State Senator, and now as a governor. And so I think the people of Georgia are going to be pleased with where his core values are. And it's, I don't think he's going to be in trouble for having nominated Dax Lopez with his base at the end of the day. I like Dax Lopez very much. He's a professional leader. Uh, I'm appalled that we're choosing to go after this Puerto Rican successful young man with a family and uh, a strong Jewish faith. It's just appalling to me. Uh, one last item before we leave. You know, uh, Heath and Mary Margaret Jim uh, debated a little while ago on the show. Are we center right or center left? We're going to find out just how liberal Georgia is on uh, this weekend when Bernie Sanders brings his campaign <laughs> to Augusta. Uh, really interesting to think about, and we got about 40 seconds for this, whether Bernie Sanders has a message that will resonate with Georgia voters. And and remember, I mean, he's got a specific problem among African-American yeah. voters. Yeah. Yeah. And this is this is just a first foray. He is he's I think he's spending he's, more time in South, South Carolina, Carolina and sure. then slipping across the Savannah Isn't River. Isn't Joe Biden coming this weekend also at Manuel's Tavern? Is it this weekend or next week? Oh, oh, you're breaking is, some news here. Mary, Mary Margaret well, probably got the invitation. Invite, oh, know. all right. We're going to have to check into that. Um, yeah, he is. By the way, so Sanders will be here. We'll talk about that next week on the show. By the way, to the best of my knowledge, if one of you can correct me, please do. 
We still have not heard from our Secretary of State, Brad Raffensperger, when Georgia's presidential primary will be. We know the Super Tuesday, which will be a lot of southern states, is going to happen on March 3rd. But Raffensperger, what is he waiting on, Galloway? Uh, you know, I think he might be waiting on to see how much, uh, to, to, to gauge the uh, what, what kind of political impact a later primary right. might have right. on, on, on the Democratic race. Okay. All right. That's well. Right. We will stay on top of that as we try to on everything going on politically in the state of Georgia. That's about it for us for today. By the way, Tom Faust brought in a flyer he got from Sharon Cooper's campaign. We didn't get to talk about it today. It's a really interesting flyer that says a lot about the Republican legislative races coming up. We'll talk about that tomorrow. And finally... A personal note, I'm back from Boston where I watched my daughter get her bachelor's degree, graduating magna cum laude, and all I can say as we leave is Emma Pearl Nygut, congratulations on a well-deserved college career. That's it for us. See you tomorrow at 2.